This is Morning Edition on NHPR. I'm Rick Hanley, and this is the New Hampshire News Recap. The state has a plan to eliminate the practice of holding psychiatric patients in hospital emergency rooms. It's known as ER boarding. It's been a long-time issue here in New Hampshire. I want to welcome our, our guest this morning. NHPR's Paul Kuno Booth is here, and Amanda Goki is here as well. And I'm going to get right to this. First, Paul, can you talk about how ER boarding has been harmful to, to so many people who have been needed mental health care here in New Hampshire? Sure. So, you know, what we're talking about here is people who come to the ER because they're experiencing some kind of mental health crisis and are held against their will for treatment. At that point, they're supposed to be transferred, of course, to an appropriate mental health care setting. But because we don't have enough beds in New Hampshire, people are often confined in the ER for days or, or in some cases we've heard about even weeks. You know, during that time, they're not getting the appropriate care that they need. um, And the experience itself can be traumatizing. I spoke to one advocate earlier this summer about what it's like. She said, you know, again, you're being held involuntarily. Your personal belongings are usually taken away. You might be in a a windowless room with with basically a bed and not much else. Uh, And again, you could be there for for days or weeks, depending on the situation. So, you know, I think that would be hard for for anyone and and especially for, for someone who's already in crisis at that point. And we've been talking about this for a long time, I know, Paul. The state's been facing this court-imposed deadline to eliminate these wait lists for inpatient care. So what is the plan? Yeah, this this problem, of course, goes back a, a decade or so. It's prompted multiple rounds of litigation against the state. Earlier this year, a federal judge did order the state to to end this practice by next May, giving the state a, a year. Uh, this week, as state officials explained their thinking, their plans for achieving that in a little more detail. And, and, you know, they're really focused on kind of three big aspects of this problem. So one is expanding community-based services so that, you know, people can hopefully find the care they need before they ever have to go to the hospital. One aspect, one example of that would be um, new crisis stabilization sites. The the state is launching this fall so people can, you know, go there for up to 23 hours, get the help they need as an alternative to the hospital. You know, there are also plans to, to bring more mental health beds online in the next couple years. Um, and then the final piece is sort of the, the back end where, you know, people right now are sometimes staying longer than they need to in the hospital um, just because there's no safe places for them to go after. So the state is also investing in more more transitional housing, permanent supportive housing for people with mental illness to to address that part of the issue. And again, the, the, this, the, the court mandate here is that this, this needs to be done. We need to eliminate these wait lists by May. By May. Now, Amanda, I want to ask you, there's been an increase in harm reduction programs across New Hampshire in recent years as, as a different approach to addressing the opioid crisis. You reported this week that there are now 10 registered syringe service programs in the state. What kind of services do they provide? Yeah, so I spent some time with the people who run the New Hampshire Harm Reduction Coalition, and they provide a variety of services, but really a key one sort of at the center of this is needle exchanges. So people who use drugs can bring used needles, dirty needles, to exchanges that are held throughout the state and basically trade them in for clean needles. And there's evidence that shows this is an effective way of reducing the spread of harmful diseases and, you know, even deadly diseases like HIV. Now, these programs, they're, they're, though evidence-based, they're still controversial in, in some recovery circles, aren't they? Yeah, so that's right. This is, you know, definitely a shift away from the sort of abstinence-only model that, you know, has been really prevalent for many years in recovery. And, of course, you know, 
part of the most controversial part of harm reduction is that it does involve distributing equipment that people use to take drugs. So you'll hear criticism that this is enabling uh, drug users. Um, But the harm reduction advocates I spoke to were basically very adamant that these are just essential components of harm reduction. They say, you know, we use harm reduction practices in our daily lives through things like sunscreen or wearing a helmet or seat belts, and that this is just applying that same sort of basic respect to people who may be using drugs as, you know, a part of a very complicated healthcare decision that they are making for themselves. Uh, you know, as Paul was mentioning with ER boarding, it's sort of there's a similar situation where it can take a really long time to get into treatment. Um, and so there's all these very specific situations that that occur, and they're trying to provide what they see as, as a missing piece. There's been so much emphasis on recovery and on treatment, and this is a part of um, of that broader picture. Do you see these these programs expanding in the state of New Hampshire? That's a good question. I mean, I think that that is something I'll be watching for in the upcoming legislative session. There is, you know, a state sort of movement and a request from certain legislators to get a definition on the books for harm reduction with an eye towards legislation on this topic. Uh, you know, I've heard some concerns from harm reduction advocates. They don't want to see a definition that dilutes or strips away things like access to needles and and the ability to provide those services in any sort of definition that the state puts forward. But I would say moving forward, I'm certainly expecting to see some legislation on this in the fall. And whether that expands or, or reduces access to these services will be um, something worth watching. New Hampshire nursing homes are pushing back on a new Biden administration proposal to establish minimum staffing requirements. Paul, why are facilities against this? Yeah. So to to set the stage, you know, there is a lot of research linking staffing levels at nursing homes to, you know, the quality of the care they're providing residents. These proposed rules would basically set a floor, you know, minimum staff to patient ratios, make sure there's enough, uh, you know, nurse aides and and, uh, registered nurses on hand to, to care for folks. Nursing homes in New Hampshire, though, say they're already short staffed, um, not because they don't want to hire more, but they they just can't find enough people to, to work as, as nurses and nurse aides. So the industry group representing long-term care facilities in New Hampshire is warning that, you know, homes might have to restrict capacity, spend a lot more on temporary staff to meet this mandate. Uh, a few facilities, they say, might even have to shut down. It is worth noting, you know, these rules haven't been finalized yet. And, and even if they do take effect, they'd phase in over three to five years. So, so this isn't something that would happen tomorrow. Now, state officials have been exploring a future that would prioritize community-based care instead of nursing home care for older adults. What, What would that ideally look like, Paul? Yeah, so legislation passed earlier this year sort of set the stage for what advocates are calling a a system of care for aging. Essentially, that refers to sort of a broad array of services to support older adults and and people with disabilities. So, you know, as you said, some people may not need to be in a nursing home and and could actually stay at home for longer if they have just a little extra help, whether that's, you know, a nurse or an aide who comes uh, comes and visits them, uh, physical modifications to make their home more more accessible and so forth. Another part of that is just making making sure those services are, are easier to navigate. And so, you know, people who do need something actually know, you know, where to go to to get it. Um, but, you know, the state has been underfunding long-term care for, for years, um, in particular home-based care. So uh, it's just starting to catch up with some of those uh, funding increases. Um, but but there's still a lot to a lot of work to do on this this subject. 
Now, advocates in Manchester this week rallied against an ordinance that would allow police to sweep homeless encampments. Amanda, tell us more about this proposal and, and what it could mean for people without housing in the city. Yeah, so this ordinance was proposed by Alderman Joe Kelly Levasseur, and he had essentially learned that police cannot write citations if people are camping in public places when there are no shelter beds available. And his proposal essentially would would lift that restriction, which, you know, he views as a loophole. And it would allow police to be able to write citations sort of regardless of whether beds are available or not. You know, his argument is that this is an unreasonable restriction on the city and that it, quote unquote, handcuffs police officers from enforcing state law. Housing advocates did organize a rally ahead of Tuesday's alderman meeting in Manchester protesting this change, and they really criticized this as an effort to criminalize homelessness and said the emphasis should really be on addressing the root causes of it and investing in more housing. Again, one of those perennial issues we have here in New Hampshire housing. There are many reasons why someone would not want to stay in a shelter if there are beds available. But there, but there are times when shelters, too, are just, just full, Amanda. How often is that happening? And, and would this ordinance make exceptions for when there are no beds available? So I spoke to Brandon LeMay. He is a housing justice organizer with Rights and Democracy. He said that what they're hearing is that shelters are either at or near capacity on most nights. So people are having trouble getting beds if they do want them. Um, but he also said, you know, a caveat to that is that many of these shelters are privately run. And so there's limitations on the sort of night-by-night data that is available. There is a sort of preliminary state data that indicates a 52% rise in homelessness. So that would sort of support um, what he's hearing anecdotally. Um, and this ordinance, you know, would, would not make exceptions when beds are available. But Alderman did actually heed uh, the call of advocates on Tuesday. So they pulled this off the table and effectively killed it. New Hampshire is moving forward with plans for a new youth detention center in Hampstead. It's meant to replace the Sununu Youth Services Center in Manchester, which has been the subject of, of abuse allegations going back decades. Paul, what was the latest update from the state for this this new facility? So it's expected to open in 2025. Um, a site study earlier this year identified Hampstead as the best best location. Um, you know, there it could be near um, the existing Hampstead Hospital, which the state runs as a mental health facility for youth. Officials say the goal of this facility is, you know, less of a correctional setting, more of a therapeutic facility, so much smaller, more home-like, more of a focus on helping youth rather than just punishing them. There's still a lot of logistics to work out. There's, you know, a state commission is meeting to um, work out some of those things, things like, you know, law enforcement response, what kind of um, local services uh, will be needed. Um, That commission should be making recommendations to the the legislature soon for, for their further consideration. Now, it's always an issue with staffing, uh, Paul. How is the state thinking about those staffing shortages that have been a problem? It's not just nursing homes that are struggling to hire. It's an issue that spans across the entire healthcare system and the criminal justice systems, too. Yeah, well, you know, circling back to where we started today, and th- this is a big issue, of course, in the mental health sphere. Um, there's, you know, various uh, ways that the state and private actors are thinking about this. You know, there, there was an increase in Medicaid funding this year for, for mental health providers. They say that should help. But, you know, another key piece is just working on that um, pipeline, making sure more uh, young people are getting interested in, in careers in mental health. So that's also something that, that people are hoping to work on more. 
All right. Thanks, Paul. You know, I want to check one more story here before I let you both go. The state of New Hampshire has certified organic farmers for decades, but that program might not be around much longer. Uh, Amanda, why, why could state certification come to an end for that? So basically, according to the State Department on Agriculture and Markets, which runs this program, it's on the brink of having to shut down. They currently have two inspectors, one in training. The training takes about 18 months. And Commissioner Sean Jasper said that if just one person quits right now, they would not be able to operate this program any longer. He's blaming it really on three things. The first is the staffing, as I mentioned. The second is the fee structure that has not been updated in at least two decades. And thirdly, regulations are getting stricter. That's federal regulations coming down, and that makes more work for inspectors. And quickly, what does this mean for local farmers? They're not happy about this. They're really bracing for the impact of it. Something similar did happen two years ago. The state abruptly dropped an organic certifying program for animals and processors, and there was a really dramatic decline after that. We went from 154 organic certified farms to just 66 in the state. So farmers are really worried that the same thing could happen again. All right. The Boston Globe's Amanda Goki. Thank you so much. Thank you. And NHPR's Paul Kunabu. Thanks for coming in this morning. Thanks, Rick. You'll find more of their work and all the stories that we talked about this morning at nhpr.org and bostonglobe.com slash New Hampshire. And we're here next Friday, of course, with more stories. I'm Rick Ganley, and this is NHPR.